Welcome to Street Smart Success. This is Roger Becker, your host. Being a top 1% real estate agent takes incredible talent and resourcefulness. With every market saturated with agents, standing out from the crowd takes unparalleled marketing and hard work. Today's guest, Krista Mayshore, sold 69 homes her first year and went on to a record-breaking career before starting Krista Mayshore Coaching. Krista helps other real estate agents all over the country build their businesses, and she is the author of four best-selling books focusing on digital marketing. Today we have with us a very, very interesting lady who is one of the top real estate agents in the entire country and has developed some innovative marketing practices and some incredible success and now is coaching other people how to do it. I can't wait to have this conversation with Krista Mayshore. Krista, welcome to Street Smart Success. Hi, Roger. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for allowing me on your awesome podcast. You bet. You know, top real estate agents just fascinate me because it's like I live in Alameda and, and I'll tell you, still in the Friday paper, every agent is featured in different ads. And I'm telling you, there are as many real estate agents as there are people in this city. And I'm <laughs> So, and then there are a couple, probably like in every city, like you are, that somehow get to the top of that heap and get just an extraordinary amount of market share. And I'm always so impressed by that. And so I'm going to ask you all those questions. But before I do, where did you start out in your wonderful journey of life? Um, well, it's funny, you live in Alameda because I grew up in Concord, California, and I live in Brentwood, California now, which is just about. I'm probably about an hour and a half from you. And so I know right where you are. And the real estate market is hot, hot, hot. And houses are crazy expensive over there. So prior to getting into real estate, I was a teacher. I know earlier I had mentioned something that you wanted me to kind of talk about. But when I was 13 years old, I ended up uh, getting into some trouble and found myself in juvenile hall. And I spent about four months in juvenile hall just to come home. And within a very short time found that that I couldn't couldn't stay there. So I ended up going to um, a group home um, for about a year. And then I spent the remainder of my high school years, the, the next three years in a foster home. So I haven't lived at home since I was 13. And I had some, you know, some, some issues that were, were happening at home. Great, great family life now, the most amazing parents. But we had some problems uh, when I was younger that kind of um, you know, made way in, in my behavior. So I made some bad decisions in my uh, young childhood. And here I am. <laughs> And so where did this transpire? So where were you before, when, when you were 13, where were you? So I was living at my parents' house in, um, in Concord. And I started, you know, I was raised with a really religious background. And so I started kind of uh, veering off in my own direction, let's just put it that way. And so I ended up running away for about a year. And my, my parents kept, you know, finding me and then bring me back. And then I'd run away again. And again, it all stemmed from some um, issues that were happening within the home. Finally, I broke the law. So I ended up um, going, I ended up breaking the law. And my girlfriend and I, who I was telling you about earlier, Chrissy, we um, we went to our school because we were on the run so much. And when our, when our school, when the kids were at PE, we stole all their clothes, like not all, but a lot of clothes. We stole their like lunch money and all that. And we had these two huge bags when we were walking, you know, we're running down the, the street and a teacher, you know, sees us. And so that was how we ended up finally being able to get arrested because when you're running away, if you don't break the law, the police can't do anything. So my parents would call the police and try to have them help them to get me back home. But the police couldn't because we never did anything wrong, you know? So that was how I ended up in juvenile hall. We spent about four months there and then actually came, went to a, a group home for a year that was in Cottonwood um, near Reading. So I stayed there for a year. It was called Hidden Hills Group Home for Girls and uh, went to did some major counseling there, ended up, you know, going back home after a year. I was home for about uh, two months and I had to call my probation officer and said, listen, this is, it's not going to work here. It's still, we still have some, some, it's just not going to work. So I ended up leaving, um, at 15 at that time I was 15 and went to a foster home for the rest of the rest of the high school years. So and you, you may be uncomfortable answering this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And you just tell me if you just don't want to go there and that I'll respect that. What kind of issues it, when you talk about in, in the family? 
Um, you know, I haven't really talked about this until probably a couple, six months ago, maybe, but there was some a physical abuse. So that was, it was, there was some physical abuse that was happening. And so, you know, no one knew about it because we, we were a great family. You know, my parents were, I, I had loving parents and, um, you know, one of my parents just, there was, there was some physical abuse that was happening. So I got to a point where I just couldn't handle it anymore. And I ended up, you know, running away. And so it was, I was a straight A student. So they couldn't understand like the, uh, counselors and the police officers like it doesn't make sense you're a straight a student and you're you know you're running away like straight a students uh kids that are doing this they don't they're not straight a students you know (laughs) so um but that was what was going on i see and when you say a very religious background what religion you know i'd rather not say that just out of respect for my for my parents uh just because I don't want to, you know, ever, I don't want anyone, I, I think it was a great religion. It just wasn't the religion for me. Um, and they still are. And I absolutely respect and love who they are and what they do. It's just personally, it didn't work for me. I understand. No problem. But, you know, it just sounds like what a story already. And we're, we've not, we're not even, we haven't even gotten rolling yet. And that's just a fascinating story. And that's what I love doing about this because you learn amazing things once you start talking to people. So, yeah, wow. Gracious, man, you dive deep. I feel like I'm in the counselor. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I told you before I hit the record button, one of the things I do different, I think, than other podcasts. I mean, there there's literally a million, well, there's more than a million podcasts out there. So I can't say I'm different from all these podcasts because I haven't listened to them all. But uh, the one thing that is different from the, the ones I've listened to is I delve deeper into the personal stuff stuff just because it's interesting to me uh, if for yeah. no other reason. So so it says you went to Chapman. I know that Chapman is, I think it's based in Southern California, but I think they have branches all over. Where, where did you go to college? Yeah. So I ended up going to Chapman University, the extension in, um, in Concord, and I was working full time. So when I graduated high school, basically my foster parents kind of kicked me out because their money was gone. So they, were, they weren't getting paid anymore. It's like, okay, the money's out. Time for you to move out. So I ended up getting a few scholarships, one actually from Juvenile Hall, the Juvenile Hall scholarship that I got. They were awesome. I remember when I applied for it, they said, Krista, just promise us one thing. And when you're you know doing great one day, which we know you're going to, just promise that you'll pay it forward. And I never forgot that. Like I, I can almost get emotional thinking about that. But um, yeah, that, that, uh, that scholarship really, really helped me a lot. Um, wow. When I was when I was going through through school, and I put myself through college, got student loans, you know, got got a few scholarships in there. Mostly it was student loans, and I worked full time. So I worked full time during the day, and then I went to school um, at night from six thirty to ten. So I worked at Costco eight hours, and I would drive over to the extension and go to school. Um, got my master's degree actually at Chapman. I got my my undergraduate, my B my BS at Hayward State at the extension in Concord as well. So, yeah. You got me all emotional, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to get me emotional. So before we commence, were your foster parents cool? Because I hear all kinds of weird stuff about yeah, that. They, were. they really were. And, you know, you know they, they, they're just kind of in it for the money, but they were good people. You know, they, they, they ended up taking my other friend, Chrissy, and she became my foster um, sister, who I've actually known her since I was eight. And we've been best friends since I was um, eight and she was she was seven. Yeah, she was seven and I was eight. They ended up taking her because she ended up having a really rough road. But it was mostly for the money, I think, because like I said, when we turned 18 and we graduated, we had to move out right away because they weren't getting paid anymore. So, um, which was fine. It taught me real quickly to kind of figure it out. Right. And we did. Um, we, we haven't really had a relationship with them since. We, we have a little bit, but not, not really. But they, you know, it was great. They were good to us. That's refreshing. Do you have a relationship currently with your parents? Yes, absolutely. So after I went to the group home, I did a lot of counseling there. And I remember um, sitting in the in the car at my parents' house. First of all, I'll tell you that the day that I decided to leave and go to the foster home, um, I never forget my dad, like outside, he says he's only cried two times. And that was when I left home and when his mom died. And he was just like begging me, don't go. We can work this out. Don't go. But I, I just had to, things weren't getting better on, on, you know, with, with the other aspects that were going. And so I just, I couldn't stay. I knew I had to go. So it was one of the hardest things ever leaving, leaving my family because we were close. It was like, it was like we were this close family that just had, you know, these things. It was really hard to explain, but I went to the, to the group home. I stayed there for, you know, a year, had major counseling, then went and uh, to the foster home, had, had, had some great counseling. And then when I got out, I, um, went to my parents' house and I sat in the driveway for like an hour and a half 
because I wanted to confront, you know, it was my mom that was one that was abusive. And she was wonderful. Like she just cried and she admitted it. And she was said just how sorry she was and how she told me some really horrible things, you know, that isn't my liberty to share from her upbringing that make, that makes mine look like, (laughs) you know, like uh, eating rainbows and unicorns. But, and she just, you know, she went to counseling with me and we worked through it. And it's, I mean, it was, it still was hard because, you know, when, when you're, when there's any kind of abuse, physical abuse from a parent or, or any kind of abuse, right? As a child, like you just, that's the person that's supposed to be protecting you. And so it just really messes with your psyche. So I ended up, you know, I went through a lot. I had an eating disorder for, for a long time because of it. And not to blame my mom on that, but, you know, many, many students, many kids that have physical abuse, they have, they end up with eating disorders. So I, uh, I had to, I had to work through a lot of things. And my mom was really great about working through it for me. Most p- victims of abuse, whether it's sexual or, or uh, physical, the um, abuser doesn't ever admit it, right? They lie about it. And so my mom was so great about it. And um, we're super, super close. You know, we have been, I'm 49 now. So we have been for, you know, 30, 30 years. And with, with that being said, you know, she uh, just, just about a year ago, I was at her house and she just was like bawling and just crying and just telling me how horrible she feels. And she feels like it's her fault that I'm not going to be making it into there, you know, because I'm not in their belief anymore as far as religiously. And I just said, mom, you got to quit blaming yourself. Like that happened. And we've worked through it and you're amazing. And I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for that. Like you really helped me. I'm a badass, you know, like I'm super tough and strong. I can get through anything. And it's because a lot of it's because of that. So, and you were so kind and help me like heal, heal, you know what I mean? So it ended up being really, really, uh, it was great. Are your, do your people get this deep? Like, oh my God, this is crazy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know about this deep, but not, not that they don't get this deep per se. Um, but not the exact story, but I, I love it because it's interesting and, and I need to have interesting, you know, podcasts for my listeners. So I'm right there with you, Krista, believe me, it's an amazing story of, um, not redemption. That's the wrong word, but the fact that, that you and your mom got on the same page and that she was able to take responsibility and kind of come to terms with her own behavior. Like you said, that's very rare. Most of the time the, the abusers can't can't close the loop. And so that, you know, the relationship remains ruptured for the rest of both parties' lives. And so that is absolutely phenomenal. And I'm so happy for you and her. Yeah. And and you clearly put your finger on the fact that this stuff tends to be generational. And so, you know, she was abused. And, you know, as far as we know, her parents were abused. I mean, it goes from generation to generation. And it's, very difficult cycle to break. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like you will break it. The most wonderful, loving, loyal person ever. Like there's, there's not one person in this world that's got my back as, as much as my mom does. So um, she, she definitely overcame it. When I left home, she ended up having a nervous breakdown. So when I, when I, when I left home, that was what was so hard too, because my whole family kind of, they thought it was my fault that my mom, right. And then later on they, you know, part of the healing was I wanted her to tell everybody in the, the family what was happening. So I didn't just feel like this sense of guilt for leaving because when I left, she, ha- she had all these memories of what had happened to her. She didn't remember any of it. So she had these crazy memories of all this horrible, horrible, horrible things happening to her, which like really took about 10 years of massive counseling and therapy. And just, you know, our family was just in a sh- uproar. And I was gone, right? Because I didn't live there anymore. So my poor brothers, they thought it was my fault. They thought this all happened because of a because of me leaving and it really was just the memories of, of her own childhood. So yeah, things do tend to be um, happen from family to family. And, and luckily my mom and I were able to, you know, I was able to stop it. And uh, you know, it's, it's funny because, and again, I'm getting just into the journey, but when I left home, I ended up, you know, going, putting myself through college. I got my, um, my bachelor's in industrial psychology and then I got married and met this man and then, and he just was, you know, I thought was the most amazing marriage in the entire world, right? Like here I am, you know, he, he was very successful and very good looking and we ended up having a family together we were married for seven years and I hadn't quite gotten the, in the cycle yet because I ended up marrying somebody who was like emotionally abusive, right? And so uh, luckily I was able to get out of that marriage. He ended up having an affair. And one day I got a call that, it sounds like I had to have a horrible life, but really it's, it's amazing. So I hope it doesn't sound like poor me because it's, it's, it's the best life ever. And all the times in between these stories I'm telling you were wonderful. But I got a call one day and my girlfriend from college says, hey, uh, you're, I'm, 
I see your husband, he's here in Napa. I'm like, oh, I know he's golfing. And she's like, well, Christy's not golfing. I've, he's with another woman. And so within three weeks of me, you know, um, finding this information out and I have two little girls, they are age two and, and, um, two and five. And I have this new woman driving my car, picking up my daughter's um, for Thanksgiving and my parents don't celebrate Thanksgiving. So I was by myself and I just see this woman, you know, leaving with my kids. And here I am like in my kitchen, we just bought in a brand new house. The backyard uh, is, is empty because they don't do the backyards. And I'm, you know, two, two bottles of wine in like crying my eyes out, feeling just like the biggest loser. And my family was broken up and just, you know, my bank accounts were completely drained because he pretty much took everything. And I just looked out in that backyard and I, after like, you know, half the day of just feeling so, so sorry for myself. And I thought, I gotta, I gotta change this. I can't keep feeling so sad. You know, I have to be a good example for my daughters. And I, my goal was to keep them in that house and to keep them safe. So given what I had gone through, me keeping my daughters healthy and safe and fun and happy was my utmost priority. And so I had just left teaching. I've got a master's degree in curriculum and instruction. I just left my full-time teaching job to be a stay-at-home mom. Uh, because my daughter had gotten sick. She had caught contracted spinal meningitis. And so they had told me that she's probably gonna have a lot of problems. So I thought, okay, well, I'll leave teaching. I'll, you know, I got my real estate license. I'll just play real estate. Maybe I'll sell, you know, three or four houses a year. I'll make the same kind of money I was making as a, as a teacher. And that was right when that happened, I found out that my husband was having the affair. And then, you know, here I am alone in this house. So that year I sold 69 houses my first year in real estate. And the why and the reason for being so driven was my girls, like keeping them in that in that house. I remember sitting in that kitchen and looking at my blank slate backyard. And when I finally quit feeling sorry for myself, I said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the most amazing, gorgeous backyard in that backyard. I'm gonna have a, a pool and a slide, and you know, and we did. Like within you know a year and a half, I, I had built this gorgeous backyard, and we had amazing, amazing memories there. And it was just like all history from there. What year was that, your first year of real estate? So I got in real estate in 2001. Yeah, 2001. So tell me, so you sold 69 houses your first year, which is mind-blowing. How much money did you make approximately? I know it's a long time ago. God, it was probably close to $700,000. I mean, it was like, if around 700000 yeah. Like my first year in real estate, I gave my broker... So the portion of commission that they got from me my first year was more money than I made as a teacher working uh, with a master's degree and having six years of experience. So it was, and that I paid them just their cut (laughs) the first year. Wow. So you made 700 bills your first year. So the question is, how did you do it? Well, you have to have, you have, you have to, you know, you have to be willing to give things up, right? You have to be willing to say yes when you should say yes and say no when you should say no. And I just had a very clear vision as to, I mean, I was so emphatic on keeping my kids in that home and having them feel safe. It was like the whole safety thing was was the determining factor. Like I didn't want them to have that, you know, the feeling of 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 not being safe. And I that, you know, stems from, you know, obviously what had happened with my mom growing up. So, you know, I, I did the full circle turn that around. And um, you know, I mean, I've had I've had months where I've made almost that much money in a month now, you know? So like, like it just stuff happens. I mean, anybody can do anything right here. I am this, I always tell everyone from foster homes to fortune. I mean, you know, out of, uh, you just do it. You know, I, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm good at implementing. I'm mindset is huge for me. I absolutely have, you know, um, morning rituals that I practice and I, I read my affirmations and I read my morning manifesto and I visualize my day and I wear my, a bracelet that, keeps me positive. So, you know, you are, we're so, our brains, I know, you know, about the reticular activating system and how powerful our brains are. And we've got two sides of our brains. You know, one is the amygdala and its job is to keep us safe and secure. And the other one is the prefrontal cortex. And its job is to like get you to just do anything and to believe in yourself and to go for it. And I choose to use the prefrontal cortex more, right? Uh, Because whichever one you use more grows. And so, you know, I just believe and know that I can do anything I put my mind to. And I've always kind of had that belief system. Um, but it's, it's there because I work it really hard at it. I mean, I'm constantly reading good books and, and really paying attention to what I say to myself, what I'm thinking, because thoughts become things, you know, what you think about becomes what you do, what you do becomes your life. And so I believe that and know that. And so wherever you're at right now, I mean, I was, you know, you were addicted to drugs, right? And you, so, you know, you've lost everything. And I was that foster kid that quite frankly was headed in that path. I mean, my, my best friend, 
um, who was in the foster home with me, she was addicted to to heavy hardcore drugs for you know a very long time. I mean, you know, o- you know, over ten years, and she's been clean for over ten years now. And she's the most amazing person. You would never even imagine that she went through that, and she was at rock rock bottom, right? So it's just it's a matter of just having a clear vision, working on who you are. Knowledge isn't power; implementation is because you can learn anything you want, but if you don't do anything with it, it doesn't make you difference. And never stop striving to just be all that you can be, you know? So no matter where you're at right now, you can do it. And, and you look at people and you sometimes people will say to me, oh, Christy, you have it so easy. And, you know, I'm a pretty attractive person. I'm 49 now, so not quite as much as I was when I was 30. But <laughs> <laughs> how many times I've heard people say, oh, you're cute. That's why you're successful. And I just thought to myself, okay, you a-hole, you just keep thinking that. Well, I just keep kicking your butt because it's not because I'm cute. It's because I work and I implement and I, you know, really work on myself. Well, first of all, one clarification is when I was doing all my drugs, I was still young and I was too cheap to lose everything. And by the way, at that age, I didn't have that much. So I didn't, I don't want to come off like I lost everything. I I wasn't a, a low bottom. I had a high bottom. I hadn't lost much. That's just a small detail. But so when you say, you know, knowledge isn't power, implementation is right, which is fantastic. And you clearly also know the the law of attraction, which is, you know, thoughts become things. And, um, you know, way more about this stuff than I do clearly, because I've read, I've read a handful of books and that's about it. You clearly like you're way more disciplined about that. Um, but so in the case of, you know, take your first year, you sold 69 homes. What are the tactics around that? You know, what did you implement other than a mind frame and a, and a purpose, which I get all that to basically take care of your daughters. I understand all that, but like, what are the tactics to do that? Well, one thing is you get up every day and you, and you go to the gym, right? <laughs> and that, that sounds, or do some form of exercise and get ready. So my goal was always to be ready, dressed at the office by 8 a.m. As a real estate agent, and whether it doesn't matter what, if you're in business for yourself or you're a local professional and you're working for yourself, you should absolutely do that. Because if you are going to go work for a nine to five job or eight to five job, you're, you're clocking in at that time. And many people don't, especially in real estate, they don't take it as serious. So they might, you know, weasel into the office around 10, 30, 11, go have lunch around 12, 30, be gone for two hours, come back. You know, so I did things differently too. So I always used to look at what are people doing around me and how can I do it better and different? So the more that I could differentiate myself is what I would do. So for example, I'll give you an example. So while other people were, um, you know, doing, putting a sign up and doing a, doing black and white flyers, I'd be doing four page colored brochures. I'd go get those little mini discs and I'd load, you know, 50 pictures onto the disc. I would then put the house on TV and, and do put, get commercials you know, of it. And people will say, well, that costs a lot of money. And I'm like, yeah, but I made a ton more. I, I believe in spending money to make more. Right. So, so many businesses, especially real estate agents. I mean, to get a, your real estate license is one of the easiest barriers to entry. And I will tell you that, you know, the year that I left real estate to, to be a full-time coach, um, I, I made just under $2 million, right? I grossed that. And I don't know many doctors or t- attorneys that make that kind of money, but for a real estate agent, they can get in, which is such a little education and training. And like a manicurist needs more training than a real estate agent. So many of them don't understand the, the level of education that you need once you get in it. Like they're told to do things like open houses and door knocking and cold calling. And, or I would, I'm doing things like creating videos, running Facebook ads, you know, targeting people and retargeting people, which is what we teach our local businesses and professionals how to do. I create video content so people get to know me, like me and trust me. You know, I, I wrote a book. I mean, I just did so many different things to just try to be as different as possible. And I showed up every day. I mean, you got to show up, right? So I, I, maybe I'm making it sound too simple, but you know, the strategies are having a good attitude, right? I can't tell you how many times I've heard we hired you because of your enthusiasm. I can't also tell you how many times I've heard we love your credentials and education. So I've got, I got every credential you can imagine in real estate. Like I've got, you know, 15 plus, you know, logos behind my name from educating myself and people that care about those kind of things, see that and understand that that's a reflection of me caring about my profession and taking it seriously. Um, I believe that you're always in a job interview. Anything and everything you do is a replication of how you do business and how you're going to treat people. So for example, now, like before I even go on a listing appointment, which I don't go now, but when I did, they've heard from me seven times, right? So I, I will 
get the appointment. And this is will be good for any business. You'll get the, the appointment. I go drop off a marketing plan to their home. Then I do a bomb bomb video after it's dropped off, letting them know it's going to be there. Then I'll do a, uh, you know, a handwritten card, letting them know that, you know, can't wait to see them. We'll have an email, a text message, uh, go out of my assistant call or your sister or brother, whoever might be called, remind them the appointment the next day, or you called to remind them. So it's a verbal call. And then um, I'll send a, a 17 minute pre listing presentation video that talks all about marketing and why I'm different before I even get there. And then I'll send a picture of me pointing to a, a, a whiteboard talking about all the different strategies that we're going to discuss once I get there with their name on it. Right. So these are the kind of things that most people aren't willing to do. Most people just want to just get on the phone and show up. Well, I've already, you know, I, I call it win before I arrive, but like we want to win before you arrive. I've already done seven, you know, seven times the things, the interactions than my competitors have before I show up. And I'm on a job interview before I even get there. So then and once I get there, of course, I've got all the tools and strategies to just absolutely blow their socks off. Right. So, but most people just took that one call, maybe if they were smart enough to actually give a reminder about the appointment, but most people are not willing to put in the work, right? Um, they just, they don't want to take those extra little things. All the little things matter. The little things add up to big things. Another example, I know I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but another strategy that we teach our students is to, if they want to help people to find out about what their home is worth, well, what we'll do is we'll, we'll just teach them how to create um, a landing page. But before that, we've taught them how to position themselves as the authority and the expert in their field so that people already know them and like them and trust them and see them as the expert and as the authority. So once they get there, they already know them, right? But most people then will just email over the CMA at where we teach our students to drop the CMA off and then do the exact same treasure I just told you. Drop the CMA off, then call, then do a video about the CMA, email the video over, blah, 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 blah. So again, those are a lot of steps. And out of the ones that you do, hey, you might only pick up one listing at a 10, but I'll guarantee you pick up one listing at a 10, right? If you do what I just talked about 10 times, you're going to pick up one listing. But most people aren't willing to do the 10 times because they didn't see the results the nine times previous. So they stop at, you know, number three. Does that make sense? You have to be willing to do all the little extra things for a long time because of the power of momentum, the power of the con the compound effect and and not stop when you don't see the results right away. So many people don't see the results right away, but they quit. And, you know, we all know this, like, the good stuff happens. You know, you read the book Three Feet from Gold. The, I mean, Napoleon Hill's um, Thinking Grow Rich. He talks about the whole story about three feet from gold. Like all, most people are just three feet from gold. They're so close to getting to that point, but they stop and they don't. They don't keep going. And um, unfortunately, most people need help to get past that point where they want to quit. When you say that we teach our students, who's we? I do, and I've got obviously my company. So, Krista Mayshore Coaching. I've got a company, and I have you know people that help me with it. But I'm one of the main coaches, and then I've got um, accountability coaches, and I've got other coaches. So, I, I my team is a we thing. It's a team thing. So, I don't I don't consider myself having employees, or I, I consider us a team. So, it w I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for my team. So, yeah, I'm just sitting here listening and just loving you know what you're saying. A long time ago, I sold radio advertising. That's what I did out of college, my first job. And I started it, like you're saying, so much about mental attitude. I mean, I literally wasn't even shaving my first, every day, my first year. I mean, I was, that's how young I looked. I was young as it was, and I looked even younger. But basically, I was the first one in every day and the last one to leave. And then I would actually, I would plan my day like at seven at night for like the next day. So basically, I worked all the time. And um, at the end of the day, and it was probably a simpler process than some of the things you've been describing, but at the end of the day, I just called more people and I would just call people a million times till they either said, you know, no or yes. But the point is, is that I just worked harder than everybody else. Yep. <laughs> you know, so uh, it, in, you know, you've been uh, innovative, clearly. But at the end of the day, like you said, you're an implementer. You're highly, highly, highly disciplined is what I'm getting. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you've been able to separate yourself from the pack, which, you know, is an understatement. Well, well, you started your own company, but when you're working for an agent and you're a top performer, a top one percent or what have you, what's the typical commission split between uh, a super mega agent and the realtor? You mean if you have a team? No, I mean, so if you're working for Keller Williams oh, okay. or... So, okay. So for example, it really does depend. So I, I was always on a 90-10 split, but there's different brokerages that have different 
packages. Like for example, right now I'm Homes by Krista brokered by EXP Realty. So if you're interested in EXP Realty, come to me because we actually have um, this amazing opportunity to partner with you with through that. But um, with that, you're, you have a $16,000 cap, which means you don't pay any more than $16,000 commission. It's an 80-20 split. So and everyone's on the exact same split. So that I get 20 80%, EXP gets 20% until I cap. Once I cap, there's just other type of small fees until your next calendar year. But um, it, it completely varies. Then I opened up my own company. But when I was first started back in the business, I mean, I think it was like 70-30 back then that they were getting, or you start off at 50-50, then 70-30. So it totally just changes. But what doesn't change is that when you market this way and when you're innovative and you're different, you start attra- you start attracting a higher price home, right? And you And you can afford a higher commission. So I am a full service broker, meaning we give full, full service and we also are full commission. And so we make more money because um, than our competitors do because we're getting paid a higher commission. However, a lot of that difference that we're getting goes back to marketing because I believe that, you know, the more that I can market my, my sellers, the more happier I can make them, blah, blah, blah. And also the more exposure it gives me because when I'm marketing a home correctly, I'm also inadvertently marketing myself. So it's just, I'm reinvesting in myself and in my business and in in my clients, if that, that makes sense with that way. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's times like, you know, where you live, my gosh, you, your, your prices are outrageous there. And so the total typical co- commission usually ranges between five and 6%. Um, a, a top tier level broker typically gets between five and a half and six. And people that, you know, are not quite as experienced or that are working for discount companies like Redfin or Zillow, they um, now are actually starting to be real estate agents, right? And so I'd be really careful of that because those are typically the kind of agents that weren't successful on their own. They didn't do a very good job. So they had to go work for a company and you're usually going to end up what you think is saving money originally is going to end up costing you a lot more later on. I, I get that. So you're saying that the Redfin and Zillow are starting to get into the game? Oh yeah, Zillow now is hiring employees that work um like to go to go and sell your house. Um Redfin is, does as well. They also have buyers, they give kickbacks and that kind of thing um to the buyers and the sellers. But but again, you're dealing with people that are inexperienced. Like why would anybody ever go work for a company when as a real estate agent, the reason real estate agents get into the business is they want to have more flexibility and more time. And so by going to work for a company, you're doing exactly the re- reason opposite of what you wanted to get in the business for. Uh, their marketing is mediocre and they just, they just, they don't, they don't, this, I'm going to sound very nice, huh? But just be careful. <laughs> so maybe, maybe edit that out. I just said. <laughs> so, so a quick question, clarification. So you said when you, your last year before you started doing coaching, you said you made almost 2 million bucks and I'm assuming that was in commissions. Did you back out marketing fees out of that or was no, that? It goes to about 1.8 and brought home around 1.4. You know, I just love how transparent you are. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. My first year in uh, coaching. So we took, I took my co- my company from, in coaching from zero to 7.4 million in 25 months. And so 7.4 million is basically what your students paid you in total. Yep. Now I'll tell you. I made more profit-wise in real estate because I'm ap- I'm putting like every dime back into it to try to grow, right? People didn't know me nationally. So we, we te- I coach people nationally now. So I've, I've written uh, four best-selling books and that was that's what I use as my lead net magnet to get people in. So marketing nationally is way more expensive than marketing locally. So we teach people, local professionals, local businesses, how to market themselves nat- nationally, right? I mean, sorry, locally, locally, locally. So it's much easier because you have a much broader, um, you don't have as broad of a reach, but you're going much, much deeper, if that makes sense. And so we had to do it. You know, the marketing budget that goes in marketing nationally is so different than marketing locally. And I want to make sure that my students just get the absolute best help and support. So I've hired a lot of people to help me support them um, with, you know, technical things and stuff like that. So we've got like just massive amounts of help. And the reason being is because I've, you know, I've spent anywhere from $25,000 to $60,000 on a coach. And I've had some amazing ones. In fact, Russell Brunson, uh, the CEO of ClickFunnels, he was one of my the best mentors that I've ever had. He's who helped me get from zero to 7.4 million. And, you know, I've paid Russell over $50,000 to coach me, but I've also paid other coaches, you know, a lot of money. And when you don't get, you know, 25 grand is a lot of money or 30 grand or 60 grand is a lot of money. And when you don't get what, you know, what you feel you should, and I'm an implementer, right? So I do what they say. It made me realize no matter what, I don't ever want anyone to be able to ever feel like, I should have given them more. So we are, all the things that I've learned over the years that have worked really well for me and helped me be successful, I put it into the program and then tried to remove the things that didn't um, because I'm kind of a, 
like when I say implementation, knowledge is power and implementation is too. Like I've taken every training you can imagine. I'm just a learning junkie, but then I implement it, right? So it's been, it's been a wild ride. It's been crazy. Now, with that being said, we had an amazing first 25 months and then we've had like the hardest year ever. So I've only been in my coaching business for three years. And this past year, oh my gosh, it's like, it almost is like we were, I wouldn't want to say lucky, but we just killed it our first two years. The last year, I don't think I've ever worked so hard and it just had so many things go wrong, but I just still won't give up, right? And our students are just having massive successes. Like you, if you even try to find something negative on the internet, it's almost, it's impossible. We don't, we don't have it yet, right? And which is someone actually, actually asked me, Krista, can you hide bad reviews? I'm like, no, we just really work hard at getting people to get great success. But it has been a rough year. Like it's been the hardest year in business than I've had in 19 years since I was in when I was in real estate, right? And everyone says real estate so hard, but this past year has been a doozy. I feel like we're we're getting out of it and we're working on things, but it's like I've got so much help and so much support, but yet so many things keep breaking. It's like everything keeps breaking on all the marketing things. So with that being said, just, uh, but I'm not giving up. I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep going. We keep looking for solutions, like solution-based thinking. Um, and I even hate saying what I just said out loud because you know you get what you think, but I'm saying that because I want you to understand it. I know I've made it seem like it's so easy. It has been hell the past year, but I know this next year is going to be better than the first two, you know? Well, first of all, just an observation is, you know, salespeople are the easiest people to sell. And I am a salesperson. So you are selling me so well. I, I just, I'm just buying every syllable of what you're saying. And so I'm just going to say one of the things I love about you is the two things. Clearly, you are as bullheaded as they come, which is why you're successful. But at the same time, you're humble as all get out and teachable. And very few people, in my experience, are capable of doing both, having the objectivity and be open. And that is really, really impressive to have hired a succession of coaches and being teachable and open, you know, takes, I think, putting your ego aside to some degree, if not entirely. That is impressive. But here's my question. So in this past year, and I thought you were going to start going down the COVID road, but you didn't. And in suburban real estate has been on fire. But you did allude in there, if I heard you correctly, the marketing stuff has been breaking. Did I hear you correctly? Yeah. So basically, when you when you start marketing at the level that I am, you can't do as much. You need to get more help, right? So it's not like I can just do everything on my own because we've gotten so big. So we have we have had to help hire outside agencies. But we create these massive funnels and within these funnels, there's zaps and there's triggers and there's so many different things that goes along with each funnel. And you have to backtrack. Like for example, this week, or we realized that people were booking and it was going to the wrong, the wrong acuity calendar because the zap was integrated and we can't figure out how the zap is doing that. And I, it's way more complicated than I'm making it seem, but there's just a lot of different things that can go wrong, right? And I always tell my staff, I don't get it why I have so much help and those things still take so long. Uh, and it's because there's just so much, right? You don't understand just how much there is. There's so many pieces to the puzzle when you market on a national level. And I was just a real estate agent. You know, I, mean, I, I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. And that's why I had a coach because I know that coaches can help you get from A to Z because you learn to, to do what they did right and not to do what they did wrong. But even with that, there's still just stuff that, that happens, you know? And it's just a matter of diving in and figuring it out. And we are, right? We, like we, we are, we are, we are, and we're learning as we go. I mean, as you know, even when you're failing, I, you know, I didn't understand this, Roger, until about a year ago. I was like, I don't understand this feeling forward thing. Like, can somebody please explain it? Because it doesn't make sense. You're failing forward. How are you, how are you uh, failing forward? And it's supposed to be a positive thing. And it's, somebody explained it to me where I finally actually got it. And it's like, even though you're failing, you are failing for it because you're still moving. You're taking action. You're doing something. My brain just didn't click on that, right? And it is so true though, because I have learned so much over the past, you know, um, three years. And, you know, we, we hit a million dollars during COVID. So COVID hit and we did like another million dollar funnel. I've gotten, we have five, two combo club awards, which means we've made a million dollars on one single marketing funnel. And we hit one of those from right when COVID hit from like March till August. And that might seem like 
a lot of money, but we were, I felt like we should be doing better just because we had just done so well the year before, right? And, uh, you know, things get stale in marketing, especially when you're getting it nationwide, when you're running ads and you have to completely keep reinventing it. There's ad fatigue that happens. Um, there's funnel fatigue that happens. And quite frankly, you have to adapt because when we first started doing, uh, during COVID, we really, we had to realign all of our programs so that they would actually work. People would actually pay for them because our, some of them are kind of expensive. And so we started doing this. We took a paid program that was only a hundred dollar challenge and we did it for free. And for the first like two months, we would have 300 people, 400 people a week coming into these funnels and then showing up to these trainings, about half of them would. And that all of a sudden after about four or five months went down to like 20 people, you know, showing up and maybe hundred people registering. And it's just because people got so sick of Zoom and they got so used to it and their kids were at home and, you know, Zoom wasn't so exciting anymore. So then we had to figure out, okay, now we got to change this. It's just a matter of, of making the change. Change isn't always fun because there's so much stuff that goes into it, but you've got to be willing to adapt and like pivot your business when things aren't working. And so I think that's something that I've always been, you know, good at. One of the things I really suck at is I try to do too many things. And I think quite honestly, looking back and I've done a lot of self-reflection on this year as far as, okay, what, what did I screw up? Right. And I think a lot of it is trying to do too many things, which was taking my focus away from the one or two things that really, really worked well. And so we've been really trying to do that over this past, you know, year is trying to focus more on not doing as much, but taking what we already have and making it better and, and, you know, improving it and, and all that. And that's been really, really helpful. So if I can give any advice to anybody that's in business, you know, sometimes less is more. And um, I have definitely learned that over this past year. Focus. So what channels do you run ads in? What's worked the best? I specialize in Facebook ads. So Facebook, absolutely. I mean, I we um, teach our students how to get anywhere from like 200 to 500 hours of watch time on every video that they present, you know, they produce or how to get, you know, 100,000 plus views, how to get hundreds and thousands of engagements, engagements, meaning somebody liking, commenting and sharing. I mean, think about this. If you're a local professional, let's just say you're a dentist and just a a dentist reach out to me that you're a dentist and you start creating content about dentistry. That's not, that's fun, right? Fun for people to watch and for people to do. And all of a sudden people start seeing your stuff. Let's just say you're a dentist and you specialize working with kids and you make it pain-free dentistry. And so you start creating content that is video on, on, we'll say Facebook, and you start targeting your community and you can tell when somebody's watching a video, then you retarget them to watch a video similar to the first one that they already watched, right? You know that they're interested. And then at the then at the end, you say, hey, you want to come in for a free cleaning? And then when they get a free cleaning, then you upsell them on things, other things that they need, like braces or whatever it might be, right? And so imagine if you're being seen locally and you're getting hundreds of hours of watch time on every single video that you're producing, you are top of mind. I mean, even if if even if you have a dentist, if you're not happy with that dentist, or if you're new to the area, or you know you want to just explore somebody else, and you keep seeing that dentist, you're going to think about that dentist when you need a dentist. You might not think about them all the time, but as soon as you need one, you will because you've been seeing them so much. And that's what we teach people is how to really, really become the the go-to expert, the go-to authority in their field by um, becoming what I call the community market leader. How many students do you have, or how many have you taught? So we have, we've, we've taught, you know, over 5,000 have come through our challenge over the past three years, right? And we've taught, um, let's say, I don't want to say the wrong number. I should know this number. I, I don't off the top of my head. But right now in my program, we have over 150 students right now that are, that are in it, probably closer to 250. I'm kind of under, under saying, so I don't know the exact number, but we've, we've, we've taught well over, you know, well over 3,000 have gone through our higher level programs. And what do they cost? How do you charge? So we charge anywhere from, um, we have programs that are, you know, $2,000 all the way up to $22,000. The one that I, I really, really like people to at least do is, um, our elite level program because it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of time, more time with me. You know, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the study called the change or die study, but basically these uh, doctors studied patients that were going to die because they had unhealthy lifestyle habits. And they told these people if they didn't change their behavior, that they were going to die. And that was really true. After a year, nine out of 10 people in one group ended up going back to their normal lifestyle. So they would rather die than change. Another group had coaching, accountability, and support. In that group, 77% of people were able to change. So 
really, really, truly changing your behavior, you need the help, you need the support, you need the coaching. And, and that's really where um, I think I, I thrive. I'm sort of, my superpower, I always say, is is really getting people to take action and, and then motivating them to continue to and keeping them like their mindset in check. Because you can teach anybody anything you want, but if their mindset isn't right, it won't make a difference, right? Because you can Google anything, um, but really having the step-by-step blueprint is, is a huge part of it. And then having somebody there to support you and, and have like-minded professionals and individuals uh, it's just so, so different. So we've, we really, really ha- attract a really, really great group of people. Um, I have a no a-hole policy, if that makes sense. So if there's anybody that ever tries to come in our program and we can tell that they're, they don't meet our, our culture, we won't let them in. Um, and money is, is not as important to me as people. I always say people before things and the things will come. Uh, we, we are really, really crazy about who we let in and, and we, we keep it that way. So yeah, that's that. So if you've taught about 3000 people, what percent would you say, and maybe this has changed over you know the few years you've been doing it, but just roughly, what percentage of those students do you think you have acquired via Facebook? Oh, uh, pretty much all of them. You know what? Had you not just said five minutes ago, you need to focus, and had I not agreed, I would say you should just what you should do is just become start an ad agency just specializing on Facebook. <laughs> That's what we teach. So we teach our students how to utilize Facebook and video properly. So the problem that most people have, Roger, is that they're utilizing Facebook. It's funny, one of my students just sent me a text message and she was like, I'm blown away. It's been three weeks and I've gotten more, like, you know, 12,000 views and blah, 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 like 20,000 views and, you know, 700, you know, engagements. She's like, I've been on Facebook since 2012. I've hired ad agencies to help me and we, I've gotten more results in three weeks than I've gotten since, you know, over the past five. It was just so awesome. People are doing it wrong. I mean, people are telling you to do things like post on your business page and post on your personal page or just to boost and none of it works. You've got to be able to retarget people and give people the proper information at the right time by tagging them. And it's it's not hard. It's just, you just need to learn to do it the correct way. Too many people are teaching things that they haven't specialized in. I mean, you know, we have, we have in hand for two combo club awards. We've earned another one. We just don't have it in hand yet where we've created a sales funnel through Facebook advertising that's generated over a million dollars on each funnel. We are masters in this. Like we, that's what I specialize in. Right. And, uh, but even with all that, it wouldn't matter if you don't have the right mindset and support to help get you there. And the reason I know this is because we have one of our programs where we, it's called the the home study program. And people go through the exact same program that people that come and pay me to coach them more as a group where they get like more of me and more of the accountability that home study program, I almost don't even like selling it because I just don't see the success in it because people just need people. You need to be able to ask questions. You need support. You need all of that. And it's just so huge. And um, we want to give our students options, but I, I hate selling something that doesn't, I don't know, that doesn't work, right? When I first started coaching, I gave my $22,000 program away to 40 people for free because I wanted to make sure I could get them the results before I ever sold it, right? And so Finally, once we knew, we we started out at two thousand dollars, and then we then we raised it to like thirty nine hundred, and then we raised it to like six grand, and then to ten, then all the way up to twenty two. Um, but you know, it works if you'll work it. But you got to work it. You got you got to be willing to implement the strategies. To you got to be willing to give something up to do more of things, to do less of things, and you've got to be coachable, right? Just kind of like what you said, you've got to be coachable. You know, my my coach always says, "Man, you're going to be really successful, Chris. Like, you know, you're going to like make a lot of money." And I says, "Why do you say that?" He's like, "Because you implement, like you do." And you listen to me. And it's like, you have to be willing to do what you're taught. And I says, well, heck yeah, you're, I'm paying you all this money. I'm going to do exactly what you say. I'm going to do more of it than you're telling me because that's what I'm paying you for. So, you know, if people that, that do the work, like we have seen agents go from selling like top agents that are already selling like 108 homes, like Alicia Collins, she just did under, under 293, from like 103, 108 homes to like 293 homes in, in 20 months. We've like Leslie Bennett, we taught her, got her to go from, you know, two homes to over 88 already this year. And we still have another month left. We've got so many stories like that. And, um, we're, we're helping now professionals to do the exact same thing because we, we've seen it work with that, those groups as well. And, you know, brand new agents that are, that are outperforming top producing agents that have dominated their area because they're coming in and they're showing a new innovative way to market themselves. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what you can do. And you, you hit the nail on the head. There are so many real estate agents, just tons of them. You've got to be able to show your unique value add, what makes you different, 
be able to stand out from the masses. And once you get there, you've got to be able to also have the tools and strategies to, to make sure that they understand that you're going to treat them better than, than anybody else will. Unbelievable. Your approach to just getting things done, you know how to get you know what done. So here, here's a, a last question that now I'm going to pivot away from the business stuff. So on your profile, it says you were formerly Miller Vitale. And so where does Mayshore come in? So Mayshore is my second marriage. So um, after my first marriage, I was single for quite a bit of time. And um, then I met my husband and we are lifetime best friends. We'll be married forever. He's my soulmate. So he, it's Steve. Steve's my husband. So Steve Mayshore. Um, Vitali was my maiden name. I'm Italian. And uh, I, my first husband was Miller. And my final and last answer, my last hurrah is Mayshore. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. And what does he do? He owns a body shop. Yeah, he loves racing cars. He's a car racer and uh, owns a body shop. And uh, he's just the most amazing human being you'll ever meet. So if you're ever if you're out there and you're in a crappy marriage or divorce, or and you think you're single, you think you'll never meet anybody. Love does exist. Just like write out your. I have my list of what I wanted, and Steve pretty much matches just about all of the all the things on my list. I am uh, very, 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 very happy for you uh, in everything that you've been able to accomplish for yourself, and you deserve it. You are a winner, and uh, if anything's broken, you will fix it, and uh, you are inspiring and just a love to talk to. And, you know, I I start these conversations, I have no idea where they're going to go, but boy, you've got my respect and admiration. So I really appreciate your time, Krista, and uh, how does one get a hold of you? And thank you, Roger. That means a lot to me. I, I mean that too. I can tell you're very genuine in what you say. Um, you can get my book on Amazon if you'd like. We I have a lead magnet and I forgot the darn lead magnet. Well, dear Rogers, I'll get that for you. You can put it in your show notes. So you can get a free copy of my book, The Ultimate Lead Gen Playbook. So it's The Ultimate Lead Gen Playbook is on Amazon. And then I'll get a link for your listeners to be able to download a free digital copy of it. We also have it on Audible as well, where you get to hear my raspy voice for the whole time in the book. You might have to put it on slow play because I do tend to talk a little fast. <laughs> but other than that, um, it's a great way to get a hold of me. And it's Krista Mayshore Coaching. So you can go to Krista Mayshore coaching.com or kristamayshore.com and you'll be able to learn how to how we can help you. Got it, Krista. Well, the last thing I'll say is before I started the podcast, it started with a book and the book was to just to get, you know, super successful people that, you know, kind of started with nothing. And then I realized that in order to sell the book, I'd need to do the podcast because otherwise no one would know who I am. And then I kind of figured, well, do I even need to write the book. And then I kind of got lazy, but you're inspiring me. So if I do write the book, uh, I have six chapters in and go back and like do what I initially intended. You are one of the people I wanted, like your door will be knocked on and I will want to feature you because your story is just absolutely fantastic. So again, you got to do a book funnel. So my, my free plus shipping offer, our books are highest converting into high ticket sales. So when you write a book, write, write the best darn book that you can, give every single secret away because people realize they need more, they can't do it on their own and uh, just give us, leave with as much value as possible. Don't be afraid to give away everything because even when you give away everything, people still need the help, but, it, but it's been great. And so a funnel, so my book funnel is what you'd use. It's a, called a free plus shipping where you basically run ads and you sell your book for free and they just pay for the shipping and the handling. And so, uh, and, but that's how they get to know about you. But thank you for having me. I love this. Yeah, you bet. And uh, we will be in touch. And if I'm out in Cocoa County, uh, I'll be knocking on your door. Yes, yeah, so we can have a beer. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right, Krista, I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Roger. Have a great day. Thanks for listening, everyone. Sorry, I feel like I was in a counseling session or something. All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, talk to you soon. Street Smart Success. 